It's a good day to be in it. It's a good day to be in the air conditioned Lord's house for sure. <clears throat> All right, so we uh, we have been going through First John. We'll continue to do that. We're going to be in First John chapter two. Um, I'm going to pray before we before we go to God's word. Sorry about that. Lord, we love you, God. We come before you today thanking you, Lord, for your, your grace and your mercy. We thank you that uh, we uh, are so privileged and honored to be called by your name, not because of anything that we've done good, not because of anything righteous in and of ourselves, but because while we were yet sinners, you came and you died for us. Father, we ask that you would be with us today as we read your word, as we come and we, uh, we look at the text that you've given us for today. God, we ask that you would... Uh, that you would just uh, anoint our hearts to hear it, um, to apply it, God, to, to put it into practice. Even if, even if uh, God, I, I try to get in the way, we pray that your word would just come and it, it would break through into, uh, into the lives of, uh, of, of all of us here in this room. God, we ask that you'd be with Brother Eddie as he's in, uh, in Dixon today preaching. And uh, Brother Johnny as he's going to come and bring the message in the second service. And that you would just prepare for us today a banquet, a feast of, uh, of your word. And the bread of life, God, because we, we so desperately need it. God, we pray that your word would speak today in a real and mighty way, not just uh, uh, me waxing eloquent or doing a good job, but you uh, changing hearts. And we thank you for that. We love you with all of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've been with us the last few weeks um, in First John, I'm kind of trying to walk straight through the book. Uh, I'm going to do it as long as the Lord allows me to do it. He, uh, if he changes something, then we'll do something else. But uh, today, and uh, most of you know, I got back from, we came back from youth camp yesterday evening. So uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time to, uh, to um, do all the study and the praying and all the things that I like to do. That's not an excuse. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach. If I, if I don't do a good job today, it's going to be my fault. It's not going to be because uh, the Lord's uh, uh, not in it. But he did, he did give me a word for you today, so I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, if you were with us last, last few weeks, we've been talking about in the book of 1 John, uh, the, these are the evidences, the tests, the assurance that you have as a believer. And they, um, he, he has given us a, a, a whole body of tests that we're going to see over and over again. We're going to see the tests of, of obedience. If you, say that, if you say that you know Christ, if you say that you are in fellowship with him and your life does not uh, follow after keeping his commands, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about direction of life. You know this already. I've told you again, again and again. Then uh, the Bible says that you're a liar. Uh, you can say all kinds of things. If you say that you know him and have fellowship with him and you don't uh, believe uh, the truth that he has spoken, the Bible says that you're a liar. If you say that you have fellowship with him, which is what John defines as salvation, it's not just believing certain facts. It's having fellowship with this God, this real person. We don't believe in just a plan. We believe in a man, Christ Jesus, who saved our souls. He is the, the author and the finisher of our faith. Um, if you say that you have fellowship with him, and all this was what we have talked about already in the first chapter. It says, if we say, if we say, if we say over and over again in the first chapter of uh, 1 John. He says, if you say that you have fellowship with him and you do not love the brethren, the body of Christ, the local fellowship of believers, then you are in error. You are a liar. You are deceived, however you want to put that. Uh, but a lot of people say that we have this or that. But uh, um, 
it says that the proof's kind of in the pudding. John writes this at the end. He says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. There were men coming into the church. I've told you all this before as well. They were saying, we're the true Christians. We have the super knowledge. We have the, the higher level that you can get to. And, you, you know, you guys are doing good. Y'all got a good start going on. You got the basics down. But you need to come and you need to follow us because we have the higher spirituality, higher presence with God, higher fellowship, however you want to put that. We got the stuff and you'll get there eventually. And, you know, and that's what they would say. John's right and say, no, 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 no. You have fellowship with the Father. You have everything. And last week, uh, the week before last, we saw it with the test of love. You love the brethren. It's not something where he's saying, come on, guys, if y'all want to be saved, you need to be loving the brethren. It's something that he says, you know, God changed your heart if you're saved. And he changed your heart to love the brethren, to love the bride of Christ, to love who Christ loves. And if you don't love the brethren, it's not a question of, hey, come on, guys, let's do better. It's a question of, hey, I need to examine my heart because God didn't do what he said he was going to do in the believer's heart. We saw that. And then last week, John kind of took a took a detour on us, didn't he? He, he? he showed us that we are part of the family of God if we've trusted. He said, I write to you, uh, uh, fathers, I write to you, little children, I write to you, young men. And he told us the things that we have in Christ. If we have fellowship with him, uh, just a quick review. He said, you've known the father. You're in fellowship with him. If you know Christ, if you've trusted Christ, you're in fellowship with him. You don't need anybody to get you to a higher level. You don't need anything like that. He said, you are strong and you have already overcome the evil one, the wicked one. If you are in Christ and have fellowship with him. And so he, he, he told us all those things last time about being in the family of God. And basically it boils down to two things. If you have trusted Christ and you're a believer in Christ, you have two things. You have, number one, you are perfect before the Father. May not be perfect walking around yet, but we're working on it. But you are perfect before the Father. You don't need anything else. You don't need a higher, there's no higher level than perfection. There's no higher level that you can reach with God the Father than what Jesus Christ has already paid for on the cross. There's no higher level. You, if you were born again yesterday, we had one of our youth saved this week. Uh, at camp. And so, yeah, we're excited about that. If you were born again yesterday, you are just a baby in Christ. But if you were born again yesterday and you stood next to someone who was born again 40 years ago, y'all have the same status before the father. When you stand before the father, you're going to be a sinner saved by grace. If you've been working, serving for the Lord, if you've done so many more, if you, let's say you're the, you're the guy who's done more than anybody else on the planet for the last 40 years for the kingdom of God, you're going to get all kind of rewards. You're going to get all kind of, uh, uh, of honors from the father. But when it comes time to stand before that judge of all the earth, you know what you're going to be? You're going to be a sinner saved by grace, just like the guy who got saved yesterday. And so you're perfect already before the father. If you've trusted Christ, the second thing we saw is that you're growing. Don't say, you can't say that I'm a, I'm a child of God. You can't say that I'm uh, born again if I'm not growing in the Lord. Because the Lord will sanctify you. I ran into some Brownsville people at, uh, took the youth to Dollywood the last day of our trip. Ran into some Brownsville people there. And we were just talking, just fellowshipping a little bit while the kids were having fun. And, and, I, and I told them, they were telling me about things that had happened on their trip. And I told them, well, I do know one thing. I said, the Lord sanctifies youth workers faster than he sanctifies anybody else. <laughs> We are on the fast track. You can believe that. 
because uh, we have to have to do a lot of things. And so the, the reality is, though, all joking aside, no matter what you do, no matter what you're called to do, no matter what your ministry is, and you do have a ministry if you're a believer, uh, no matter what you do, you are growing in Christ. He is not going to leave you at the position that you are in this life. He's going to uh, be removing sin. He's going to be growing you in holiness. He's going to be growing you in relationship with, with himself. He's going to be changing you from the inside out. That's what uh, the, the sanctification is what they call it. Uh, growing in holiness, growing in godliness, growing in your relationship with Christ. That is going on if you have been justified. If you, if you are not being sanctified, if you are not being changed, if you are not growing in the Lord, you should rightly doubt whether you have ever been justified. That's what, that's what John is telling us in this book. Well, we're going to just look at two, three verses uh, because there's so much in them. I can't really get beyond two or three verses at a time. He's going to go back to this test of love that we've talked about week before last. Remember last week he took a little detour to show us who we are in the family of God. Now he's going to get back to this test of love. But there's something that you need to know. Uh, he told us before that the love for the brethren is evidence. It's the evidence that we have been made right. It's the evidence that God is working in us. It's the evidence. Now, your love for the brethren may not be perfect, but it is there to some extent or not. You have a desire to love the brethren. And so I want you to see, and I think John's writing this, he's continuing his uh, talk about love to show you that there's, this love is a specific kind of love. This is not just love for love's sake. You know, we can think about love and uh, a loving person is a person who's a nice person and they'll help people and they'll do things and, you know, whatever. Uh, they'll, they'll just you can talk about somebody who's uh, your, your, your neighbor who's happy to help take out your trash or or just has a has a just spirit of well-being for all mankind. And there is a kind of love that God hates. I don't know if you know that or not. So when we talk about the word love, we're not just talking about this uh, fuzzy emotional feeling that we have and it's all good. And then we just love and it's we're you know, chicken grease and peace and, uh, you know, all that flower power and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we're not talking about just love for love's sake. We're talking about love for God and love for what God loves. And there is a kind of love that you can have that God hates. And that love is described for us. Let's read in verse 15. It says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And here's the test. If any man love the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. All that, all that's in the world, it's not of the father, but it's of the world. And verse 17 says, and the world, the world passeth away. The world is passing away right now. The world is passing away. And the lust thereof, the desires of the world is passing away. But he that doeth, he that is doing the will of God, he is the one that abideth forever. He's the one that is abiding forever right now. Abiding and will abide forever. Now, first thing you need to see is I want to, I want to define, I want to do this real quick because I, I, I always go over. I'm trying not to go over. I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of time in the early service, but um, 
I want to define the world here. What is the world? Because it almost seems like two things are, 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 are coming head to head with each other and you kind of don't understand because doesn't John 3.16 say God so loved the world? But here he's telling us not to love the world. So, I mean, how does that work? Well, the reality is that John uses the word world in a lot of different ways. You know, let me tell you what this world here and the world passeth away or love not the world. Let me tell you what that world is. First of all, it's not all the people in the world. Because we're specifically told that we're to love our enemies. We're to love the brethren. We're to love our neighbor. We are love. I mean, we're to love every person. We're to love our enemies and our neighbor. If they hate us, if they're not one of us, we're to love them. If they are our brethren, if we're part of their family, if we're part of their neighborhood, we are to love them. No matter where they are on this globe, no matter what kind of person they are, we are to love them. Sometimes that love involves telling them the truth. So I'm not saying that we tolerate everything. I'm just saying that we love. All. So this world here, love, love not the world, that's not talking about not loving all the people in the world. And the second thing, it's not talking about not loving the creation, like the world, the trees, the grass, the sun. In First Timothy, I think it's chapter 6, it says that God has given us all these things to enjoy. In the very first uh, first two chapters of, of Genesis, it says that we have been given dominion to care and to keep the creation. We have we are made in the image of God to be his image bearers over creation. So it's not that, you know, oh, that's a tree. I can't love nature because that's the world. And uh, we better not love the world. So therefore, I can't go fishing. You know, I can't go enjoy the sun. I can't go. That's not what he's talking about. That's not what he's talking about at all. The world here is what he's, what he's talking about, and it's used in lots of different places in the New Testament, is the system of the world. It's a set of values, a set of beliefs, uh, a philosophy, if you will. Uh, what the world calls, if you, if you look out there in the world that mankind has made, not the creation, but the, the system, the society that mankind has made, you'll see a system of values that goes against what God says is good. You'll see a system of beliefs that goes against what God says is valuable and right and worthy and those things. It will tell you the world system, the world uh, set of beliefs will tell you this is beautiful. This is worthy. This is valuable. When God says, no, that's passing away and that's fading and it's not worth investing your life in. It's not worth chasing after. It's a, it's a mindset. I guess that'd be the best way to put it. The other day, uh, it's been two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was, uh, I was called to Pathways there in, uh, in uh, the hospital. Uh, I have to do, you know, being the chaplain, you have to go over there sometimes and, and, and counsel with folks. And there was a young lady there. And, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what she was there for. I mean, I could probably guess. But uh, she was there and she just needed some help, needed some counseling. And, of course, you know me. That really, the only thing I got is the gospel. So that's what I was giving her. I was giving it to her and applying it to her specific situation. And just when I thought that, you know, I think she understood, I think we got it. Okay, we're, we're about to stand up. She's about to go back to her, you know, place. And I'm going to go back over to the hospital. She said, I, I think you've helped me. I think I'm just going to, I'm going to really try and do better now. And I was like, evidently I didn't help you at all. Let's sit back down and talk about this again. And so then uh, we, we go and spend some more time talking about it. And it seemed like every time I thought we were done and it was good, you know, she's got problems, got to work through. So it's not like a light switch where I can fix everything or God's going to just, you know, make something disappear. It's possible. But usually, you know, you got to face the consequences of what you do, even if you come and you get God's forgiveness. 
Uh, but every time we, every time we, uh, we thought we were ending this thing up, she would go back to, I, I got to do better. I'm working, working to make God pleased, working to make God proud. And I just couldn't break through the mindset. I mean, she had a mindset that I just couldn't get through. Now, I planted the seed. The word of God doesn't return void. I'm not saying that, you know, this whatever. I'm just saying at that moment, it seemed like she had a lens through which she was listening to what I was saying. My, my words, the gospel was going through a filter that she had constructed, a, a worldly filter about working for her, working to make God happy. And everything I said, no matter what it was, she could agree with me. She would agree with me, but it would pass through that filter and she would, she would add a meaning that I wasn't intending. And so I tried two or three times, but we never could get it. The, the point that I'm making and saying all that is the world has its own beliefs. It has its own filter. It has its own its philosophy, its own ideas. And so when you go and you say, you know what? I, I think we need to love folks. We know what we mean. We mean a godly love. We mean a love that tells the truth. We mean a love that's hard sometimes. We mean, we mean a love that offers Jesus for the salvation of the world. But when you say that out there to someone who don't know Christ, it has a different meaning. They mean we need to love folks by just tolerating everything. We need to love folks by just letting them do what they want to do. We need to love folks by not telling them the truth and not confronting them with the gospel. You see, the word love would mean something totally different to somebody out there who don't know Christ. They're passing it through a filter. And so the world he's talking about here is that set of beliefs, that value system. And you can see it throughout the New Testament. James 4, 4 says, don't you know that friendliness with the world is enmity against God? It's enemy. You're an enemy of, of God if you're friendly with the world. Now, does that mean that we don't go evangelize? We don't go on missions? We don't go witness? No, of course not. It's talking about us living in that, in that sphere, accepting what they believe, accepting the world's values, accepting the world's uh, standard of right and wrong. Um, even here in 1 John, uh, I think it's, I got it wrote down, 1 John five nineteen. it said the whole world lies in wickedness. James 1, 27 says one of the things we're supposed to do is we're supposed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, untainted from the world. We live in the world, but we're not of the world. In Ephesians 2, 2, it says, don't you know that you at one time were apart from God and you walked after the course of this world. So what it's talking about when it says love, not the world, Houston, put verse 15 back up there. If you, if you're thinking about what it says, love, not the world, he's talking about don't accept the belief system. Don't accept the values. What the world says is beautiful is not beautiful. What the world says is valuable is not valuable. What the world says is worthy and righteous is not worthy and righteous. It's saying don't live for this world. Don't live for the values and the trinkets and the toys and the, and the things of this world. You know, sometimes that ends up being don't live. The world will tell you everything is about you. If you can just be comfortable, if you can be happy, if you can be secure in where you are, you got it made. You're living a worthy life. You, the world will tell you, you know what, if you can get to a certain point, maybe where you don't have to work anymore or where you got a good retirement plan or where you got everything rolling and you don't need to have any kind of worries or anxieties, then you've made it. You've made it. If you can get to the point where you can move to Florida and whatever, you know, everybody moves to Florida when they retire. You have made you. you your life is worthy. You have made you, your life is valuable. You've made it. 
You've reached it. God says, you know, if you give your life away for somebody else and spend it serving, spend it sacrificing, spend it working, spend it moving his kingdom, spend it investing in someone else, spending it investing in the gospel in someone else, let's put it that way, that's worthy. That's valuable. But that's not, world, that's not what the world says. And so when he says love not the world or the things in the world, it, it, it's, it's almost the opposite of what we talked about before. He says, you love the brethren. And if you love the brethren, then we have evidence that the Father's love is inside of us. But it says, don't love the world. And if you do love the world, then that's evidence that the love of the Father is not in you. Do you understand? You can't love. I mean, think about it. Can you say Jesus Christ is my savior? Jesus Christ is my Lord and I love him with all my heart. And he was put to death. He gave his life. He laid his own life down, but he sacrificed his life so that he could take the sin that so pervades me, the sin that so pervades the world. And for me to say that I think it's okay, I think it's right, I think it's good even to go and wallow in to enjoy the same thing that drove the nails into my Savior's hand, who I love, it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense to say that the things that, the, that Christ died for are the things that I will freely live for. It doesn't even make sense. So it says, love not the world, things in the world. Um, the one who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm going to come back to that. But I want to show you more clearly what this world is. This, this really actually gave me a, a fit this week. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't process it as well as I would like to. But it says, love not the world or the things in the world. And then in verse 16, it says, it defines for us what's in the world. It says, for all that is in the world. Now he's about to give you a definition of what is in the world. But when he defines what is in the world... He describes what's in me. He says, this is what's in the world. Now I'm expecting to tell me about all that's out there. You got all that bad stuff. You got atheists and you got non-believers and you got sex, drugs and rock and roll and, and people living for, you know, I'm expecting all that. But he says the things that are in the world. And then he describes the things that are of our flesh, doesn't he? Of our, of our earthly selves, of our worldly, worldly lives. He says, this is what's out there in the world. He says, it's the lust of the flesh is out there in the world. Well, that's, that's something that's in me. It's the lust of the eyes that's out there in the world. That's also something that's in me. It's the pride of life. That's something that's in. So he describes what's in the world by describing the human heart. The sinful heart, doesn't he? He said, all this stuff, this is not from the Father. That's of the world. That's part of the world's deal. Uh, I want you to understand, when I say don't love the world, when John says don't love the world, what we're thinking is all that out there, all that stuff. But the reality is that the things of the world, the things of the world are the things that call to what's inside you. They're the things that want to make you live for the lust of the flesh. They're the things that want to make you live for the pride of life. They're the things that want you to invest 
in the lust of the eyes. See, the reality is that you and I, we know this from John, we've seen it already. You and I have something wicked in us still. Paul says, in me, in my flesh, I know that there's nothing good. He said, because I desire the law of God, but I'm not able to fulfill what I desire to do. You and I have a spirit of God inside of us if we've been born again. And it wars with that flesh daily over and over and over and over again. And that war, that battle is evidence that we have come to know Christ. And so what the world does, the world does, it really doesn't have any power at all. The world and Satan have no power over you at all. Zero. The only thing that they can do is to tap into what's that, what's that, and to whisper in your ear to that thing that's inside of you. Mm-hmm. To incite the lusts of the flesh. Yeah. To incite the pride of life. To incite the lust of the eyes. That's really all they can do. The world would have no power over us at all. It wouldn't even be an issue if it were not for that sinful man that still resides. That old man, the Bible calls it, that still resides in us. And so what it says is the things that are in the world are the things that are going to call to that thing that's inside of you. That, that lust of the flesh, that lust of the eyes and pride of life. If you say the word lust, you, you, you automatically start thinking of you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I, I really don't have to worry about that because I don't live in that kind of, uh, I don't live in that lifestyle anymore. And I don't go out partying with my friends. And, you know, I don't go out, you know, I'm not living for, for things. I'm not living for whatever. But the reality is of what he's saying is, is that you love, you are, love is investing your life. You will, you show me what your life is invested in, what you live for, and I'll show you what you love. It's as simple as that. Most of the time, for regular old folks who go to work and come home, go to work, come home, try to take care of their families, it's not going to be it's not going to be some drug addiction or something like that. It's going to be, you know what? I just live for free time. I live for my comfort. I don't want to be out of my comfort zone. I don't want to. I don't want to be out of my security blanket, my security net. I, I just don't want to. I don't want to be pressed out of that. I just want to be. I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy. I mean, I deserve to be, I deserve to be at ease. Um, I, all week long, we went to this camp and, uh, the point, the point of this is you, you got to set your affections on what's above. You set your affections on me. I don't care what it is. It could be your family. It could be your job. Uh, It could be good things that God intends for you to enjoy. But when you turn them and, and make that the focus of your life, you have just fallen into the world. You fall into the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Even if it's a good thing, if you invest your life in it and that's what you live for, that's your God. You've made it your God. All this week we were at this camp and uh, it was a really good camp. I was absolutely shocked. You know, uh, a lot of times we go to these youth camps and, you know, it, I make sure that we always go to a doctrinally sound camp. So, I, But sometimes the preaching is kind of moralistic. It's kind of you know, teaching me how to live better rather than gospel. This was not like that at all. The whole premise, the whole theme of the camp was being unashamed of the gospel. And the guy preaching, I don't know if every camp's like this, but the guy preaching in our camp preached really good. I mean, he was gospel. He even used some of the same things that I do in the youth class, talking about the courtroom and all that kind of stuff. And whenever he would say something, I said, look at him like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Y'all know I'm telling you right. See, look, see. Look, it's 2,000 people in this room. He's saying the same thing I say to y'all all the time. 
And so anyway, it was really good. But this dude was really good because he had all these stories that went along with his preaching, you know, all his illustrations. And I was looking and, and I was thinking, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I had that. You know what I mean? I, I like just going through the text. I, I, I feel that uh, when, when God just, when God speaks best through me, when he gives me the word, I, I just go straight down the text, you know, and just, just, this is what this means. This is what this means. I ask questions of myself when I'm studying, when I'm praying on, but man, he could really bring it home with all these stories. And so about Wednesday night, I'm thinking, well, I know what my text is because God is kind of leading me to go through first John. Uh, and so I know what my text is and I'm thinking, God, it would be really cool. And I prayed because I didn't have a whole lot of time to myself this week, but I prayed, God, it'd be really cool if you could just give me some awesome illustrations to go. And then I could do something like that and it'd be great. And nothing came. I was like, I was thinking of jokes I'd unheard when I was 10 years old and just some, you know, brother Eddie's a great storyteller when it comes to applying the scripture. And that's just, that's a gift I just don't have. And so I, I, I was like, come on, God. I was Thursday. I'm like, you, I'm waiting, you know, and I'd get a lot, I'd get alone somewhere while they were all doing their thing. And I'm like, God, come on. You got to help me out. I need a good illustration. I need a good, something to drive this home, something that they're going to understand, something that's going to apply to them. Nothing, nothing, nothing at all. And then I think I screwed up pretty much everything that was possible to be screwed up this week. I, uh, I backed the bus into the trailer, bent the bumper all up. What y'all laughing at? That ain't funny. <laughs> I parked next to a three foot wall, concrete wall when we were leaving. And when I pulled out, I turned too sharp and tore the fender on the trailer. We had to go up a hill. We, we, our, our cabins were on a hill. And we had to go up the hill to park and all that. And so I had to go up the hill with the bus and there were buses all around and I had to back up to the trailer, hook up the trailer and then pull off. And so I had to kind of spin it two or three times to where, well, I jackknifed it and put a dent in the side of the trailer with the bus. Um, oh, there's so much. I got a list. We can go through it. Um, yeah, I, I, about this time I'm feeling pretty okay, you know. I think I've I think I've met my quota of stupidity for the week. The uh, the kids, the camp was fun, but a lot of the kids didn't like their tracks. They have tracks they go in, and a lot of them were complaining. And and you know they I mean, but to be honest, some of them was like duct tape art. Like if I was there, I wouldn't want to do a duct tape art either. And so I had to go through all that. I was dealing with all that. So. It's time to go home. I said, you know what? We're going to stay an extra day. We're going to stay an extra day. We're not going to come home Friday. We're going to come home Saturday, and I'm going to take you all to Pigeon Forge, and we're going to go to Dollywood, and we got a little hotel with a swimming pool. And I love So we're going we're gonna, it's to, been, it's been good. We've heard good preaching. We had one saved. There was three or four kids that repented, oh, you know, for things and, and tears and all those things. So I, we know God was moving, and it was wonderful, but I'm going to give you all a day of fun. And so we did that, and it was perfect. On the way home, Jason, the one with the CDL, forgot to do a walk around on the bus before I left, and the trailer lights hooked to the thing were actually under the chain. So the concrete and the chain shredded the wire, which 
which shorted out my brake lights on the bus and the trailer. No brake lights. So, okay, I'm good now. You know, I'm still good. It's all good. Kids, 25 kids fighting on the bus for four hours. I'm good. I'm good. And then, oh, did I forget to mention I left my iPad in Ridgecrest. I left my iPad. Yeah, some of y'all might not think that's a big deal, but I probably got more books on that iPad than they got in this library down the road. Left it. It's there. And I won't even know if they have it until Monday. They shut down until Monday. So, yeah, I, that, that was the worst. I about cried. Anyway, where am I at? Oh, yeah, shredded the wires. Pull over. Okay. I didn't know the wires were shredded at this time. It's got to be a fuse. It's got to be a fuse. So I start taking fuses out, checking them. My test light didn't work. So I, I'm just having to take out the fuse and look at it, see if it's blown, put it back. Take out the fuse, put it back. Take out the fuse, put it back. 8,000 degrees at the gas stations. I don't know. We're just going to have to drive home without brake lights. Dana's in my truck. Just get behind me and you be my brake lights. You know, if you get close, then they'll know that you need to stop. Okay, I got it. And so, get in. All right, y'all ready? Let's go. Bus won't crank. After a while, I called Chad. He's trying to walk me through this. It might be this, might be that. I had to call a tow truck. Told me 20 minutes away. This is that side of Knoxville. Five hours, four hours from home, four and a half hours. <coughs> yeah, I'm standing there at the Ford dealership. And these two guys was working on, on the truck, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, God, I, I, done, I think I done had more than my fair share this week. I done done a lot. I done put up with a lot. I, I mean, lots going on here. I, I really just want to get home. That's what I'm praying. I just want to go home. And is it too much to ask for me to go and put my feet up and sit down in the recliner before I have to start studying for tomorrow? And pray? Is it too much to ask? You know, I wasn't doing it that smart elecky. I was actually praying and, you know. But I was, in my mind, I'm thinking, is it really too much to ask? And then I said, well, I'm sitting here waiting on the guys. You know, I'm waiting on them guys to fix the bus or, or let me know if it can't be fixed and I'm going to get a charter bus and get the kids home and I'll just have to come home another, you know, when the bus is fixed or whatever. And I said, I might as well sit down right here and just at least review, look over the text. And the first thing it said was, love not the world, the things of the world. I was like, well, there's my illustration. Yeah, thank you, God, for the illustration. Have you ever asked God for an example? That's not a good idea. He gave me a perfect one. I had, we had a good camp. We had good preaching. We had a kid saved. We had a lot of people that repented. A lot of people that um, uh, repented toward God. Let's put it that way. I had 25 kids that were sitting at a gas station that people came and bought food for. That just getting gas, bought food for, bought, you know. And I'm and I'm over here, and all I can think about is I ain't gonna have no time for myself. Love not the world of things in the world. Because if any man loves the world, love the Father is not in it. So all this going on, the only time, the only thing that I wanted was some me time. Rather than, man, I hope them kids are okay 20 miles away. 
I hope they had adults with them. They weren't left by themselves or anything. But the reality of what I'm saying to you is, even as a believer, your heart can swap over to love the things of the world just like that. And then you catch it. The good thing is, if you are a believer, God is not going to leave you in that state. He's going he's gonna to grab hold of your heart. He's going he's gonna to chastise you. He's going to lead you into righteousness. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the world is a big, huge distraction. And that's what it wants to do. It wants to distract you from your love of Christ, from your service of Christ, from your life filled with following Christ. It wants to distract you. It's not going to come to you with horns and a pitchfork and a tail and say, I'm going to take you away from... It's not going to do that. It's going to come with something shiny, something pretty, and it's going to distract you and say, you know what? You deserve this. You need this. This is good. This is what God has given for you. Don't worry about serving him. Don't worry about following him. You deserve some you time. You deserve this or that. You deserve to have this for yourself. That's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I deserve. I deserve it. I've done my part. I've worked enough. Nobody's done what I've done. I've done enough. That's the pride of life. I need some me time. I need to actually sit down and put my feet up. That's the lust of the flesh. When the reality is I just need to get these kids home to their parents. I need to get them back to, uh, I need to get them back. And I need to do it in such a way that it glorifies Christ. I don't need to do it in a way, which I probably did, but I don't need to do it in a way that, shows frustration and anger and all those things. I need to do it in a way that shows that all things work together for good. I was sitting there at the Ford dealership in Lenore City. Is that how you pronounce it? Whatever. I was looking at my phone. Love not the world, things in the world. If any man loves the world, love the Father's not in him. And it was like a light bulb went off. God said, there's your illustration, buddy. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm loving the world. I'm loving the world. I'm loving the things in the world. I'm worried about the lust of the flesh. I'm worried about the lust of my eyes. I'm worried about the pride of my life. And I'm not being a witness for Christ. Because all them kids don't see how frustrated I am. All them kids don't see how worried I am. All, all them kids don't see that I haven't, been, I haven't been a model of who Christ is in their lives. And so I'm looking at my phone, looking at the Bible on my phone. I'm thinking... This is being played out right here in my life. And as soon as that thought went through my head, I heard the bus crank up. The guy came. He said, I said, what'd you do? What'd you do? He said, he showed me a little diagram of the fuse panel that I was digging into. He said, you see this diode right here in like number 36 or whatever it was? I said, yeah. He said, it was in 37. So evidently, while I was jerking around in fuses trying to fix the lights, I put a fuse in the wrong hole. Yeah. Four-hour delay because Jason put the fuse in the wrong hole. Put the fuse back in the right deal. Still don't have no brake lights because the wires are shredded on the back of the thing. But we got home because it was just a fuse. It was a fuse doing something with the fuel pump or something. 
And so there's my illustration. And so all the way home, the last four hours, I'm like, God, I promise. I'm not, I, I love you. Just let me get home. I, I promise. I'm not going to doubt anymore. I'm not going to do anything. And it was all good. But the reason that I, I bring all this up is just to show you, I know that I'm not, you know, I got so much to be, I got so much sanctification to go. I, I still am, I still got a lot more to go than I got behind me. For sure. But understand that this love not the world, the things are in the world. The world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Sometimes we have a tendency to think that's all out there. But you and I still have an old man. We still have a war that's being fought inside of us. We still have, we still have these things, these desires to be happy, desires to be comfortable, desires to not serve Christ, not live for Christ, whatever you are investing your life in. Let me, let me end with this. Take the last three weeks of your life and just look at if someone who didn't know you, didn't know anything about you, didn't know, didn't know anything, if they just watched your life for the last three weeks, would they say, that person is investing their life in the kingdom of God. That person is investing their life in Christ. That person is investing their life in serving Christ. Or in what, I mean, whatever. In, in something to do with Christ. If it's not the case, then according to 1 John, you probably should ask yourself some questions. You probably should examine yourself because not everybody who says Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who will enter the kingdom of heaven? The one who does the will of the Father. Not everyone, that verse reads, that verse reads, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And this is how this text ends. I'm going to read the last verse and then we'll go. It says, For all that's in the world, lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, all that stuff, that's not of the Father. But it's of the world. And it doesn't even make sense to invest your life in that. Because all that's passing away. All that's in the world, the world's passing away. It's going. What, what you're doing is you're investing your whole life. You're holding on to the security and the happiness and the comfort of this world. You're, you've grabbed on to a bowling ball that you think is valuable. And it's dragging you to the bottom of the ocean. And you won't let go because you think it's so valuable. It doesn't even make sense to hold on to it. It's passing away. You can't keep it. You and I are going to have an appointment with with Christ one day. And you're going to be judged just like everyone else. Your books are going to be open. And for you to hold on to something that, whether you're lost or saved, you're not going to be able to keep it anyway. You're going to spend your life... Living for something that is going to vanish. It's going to be burned up as hay and stubble. It says the world's passing away and the lust of the world are passing away. The lust thereof. And then here's a, the end of this verse. says the same thing that I just quoted to you in Matthew. It says the one who does the will of God. The one who is doing the will of God is abiding forever. Remains forever. Is living forever. The one who does the will of God. We've seen throughout 1 John so far, we're going to continue to see it. It's a heart change that produces results in your life. 
He's not saying you got to be good to abide forever. He's saying the evidence that you are abiding forever is that you are doing the will of God. Are you doing it perfectly yet? I hope not because I flunked yesterday bad. But it's the direction of our life. You, if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Period. If you fall into loving the world as a believer, God is a good shepherd, a good father. He will come and he will make it known to you one way or another. I felt like David yesterday when Nathan said, you the man. It's you. Going to tell those folks not to love the world. Good luck, buddy. If you love the world and your life has a pattern of loving the world rather than loving the kingdom of God, serving the kingdom of God, working for the kingdom of God, loving God himself, being in relationship with God himself, you need to ask yourself whether you be of Christ because many will come to him in that day and say, Lord, Lord. First John has told us at least nine times already in the first chapter, in the first part of this chapter, if we say that we have fellowship with him and blank, we lie. If we say that we walk with him and we don't live it, we lie. If we say that we have fellowship with him, we don't love the brethren, we lie. Over and over and over and over again. Don't just say something and roll the dice hoping it's going to be enough. Examine yourself today whether you, whether you be of the faith or not. Because it's going to be a lot of people that say, I sat in church. It's going to be a lot of people that say, I believe all the facts about Jesus and and God who are going to be turned away at the judgment because they were never born again. Father, we love you. We come before you today and thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you've done in our hearts, all that you've done in our lives.